Well, it turns out that the real missionaries um, are not simply those um, that we have. Uh, oh, <laughs> who needs that anyway, right? And not simply those that we um, pray for in Puerto Rico or, or um, in, in Uruguay or, or uh, any, somewhere in the United States. They're, um, they're right a, a good deal closer in our, our own midst. Um, we're thinking about um, um, our own wives and mothers. And I have it on the authority of Holy Scripture that the um, most important mission field uh, is the work of Christ carried on by Christian wives and mothers. And that's not just a hallmark sentimentality. That is cold, hard fact. Um, these are the missionaries we need to uh, pray for and support first. And yes, this is a belated uh, uh, Mother's Day message, uh, but um, I feel so strongly about this because it's such a, um, perhaps a, an anti-modern uh, message that uh, you're not going to hear, except in church, I suppose, um, that uh, I need to From the uh, book of Second Kings, Second uh, Kings chapter twenty-one, where we have the uh, account, sorry account, of Davos Vineyard, and I'll be reading verses one to sixteen. Second, or excuse me, that's First Kings, First uh, Kings twenty-one, beginning at first one. Second, First Kings. Now, Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Nahab, uh, to, uh, said to Naboth, uh, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it, so if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Nahab the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat food. But Jezebel said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, uh, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread. And let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. You got to do good. 
So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the Israelites and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him. Let them bring a charge against him, saying, You curse God and the king, and take him out and stone him to death. And the men of the city, the elders, and the leaders who lived in the city did as Jezebel had sent word to them. And it's written in the letter that she sent to him. He proclaimed a fast, said Naboth at the head of the table, and the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the two worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He's dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. Well, my first point uh, from these interesting verses is that wives have a weighty influence upon their husbands. Um, that's sort of obvious in that text, isn't it? From what archaeologists have discovered, this palace described here uh, as a summer palace appears to be quite a nice little bungalow. Um, it apparently um, had walls fixed uh, with white marble set off by hundreds of ivory figurines and reliefs. It had just about everything, everything except a, um, a palace vegetable garden. But there was a vineyard nearby that might be turned into a pretty nice garden, a perfect setup, except for the fact that Naboth, who owned the property, wouldn't sell it. Which shouldn't have surprised uh, Ahab, uh, for uh, it was not only perfectly reasonable that Naboth might want to keep his own, um, his own um, vineyard, but it was also um, very appropriate, and, uh, and it was uh, in, in accordance with the, the law of the land. Mosaic law, in fact, prohibited Naboth from selling his property to anyone outside the clan. So the land was to remain in the family. So Naboth refuses. But Ahab has set his heart. Well, you know. Uh, uh, so, uh, <clears throat> so Naboth goes into his, um, into his home. <clears throat> because he'd had his heart set on us, and he goes into a childish sulk. Enter Jezebel, his wife. Um, Ahab's problems really didn't begin with Naboth's vineyard. They began with his marriage to this woman Jezebel, an idolatrous woman, a non-Jew, whom he had no business marrying at all. And yes, we do need to be continually reminded that marriage between Christians uh, belonging to Christ and non-Christians who belong uh, to the world is categorically forbidden. Old Testament 
and New Testament alike. Um, so there we have the circumstance. Uh, Jezebel uh, is um, the daughter, however, you should know, of the king of Sinan, really the king of all the Phoenicians, one of the greatest of the Canaanite kings. And aside from being, being very wicked and unprincipled, she is also was a zealous follower of the Baal cult, a religion, a very degrading religion, which she brought into her marriage uh, and then into the northern kingdom of Israel. But what I want to underline here is her influence over her husband Ahab. Uh, she comes in and she finds Ahab in this big sulk and she chides him, she mocks him. Do you now govern Israel? Or as the NIV puts it, is this how you act over the king of Israel? Probably not very remarkable. But she had his number. And it didn't take him long to turn matters over to her, the royal seal and all, to his very capable wife, uh, irresponsibly and passively deferring to her devices. If he suspected that the means by which he might get the property might be less than ethical, he doesn't say so nor does he interfere or ask any questions when he hears that Naboth is dead. But this is not the first or the last time that Ahab would irresponsibly surrender his will in his way to, um, to his wife. If you look at the summary verses in track, uh, chapter, verse 25 of 1 Kings 21, we're told that there was no one who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, Incited. So yes, Ahab's a weak character, uh, and uh, and we see him here at his worst. But again, the point I want to underline again is the is the powerful influence that a wife may invariably have upon her husband, even as she doesn't even if he doesn't um, abdicate all the responsibilities as completely as Ahab did, or even if he isn't quite bad as as uh, she was. Um, think, for example, how Eve influenced her husband Adam or how Abraham was greatly influenced by his wife Sarah or how Jacob was influenced by his wife Rebecca. Now those are all pretty negative examples. But don't misunderstand point B, the positive influence and encouragement of a godly wife. Don't misunderstand because this can obviously be a very good thing. Think of what blessings uh, the, uh, the positive influence and wise encouragement uh, of a godly wife can bring to her husband. Uh, indeed, uh, the Creator has designed and intended for wives to inform and influence their husbands for righteousness' sake and to strengthen their hands. And, and uh, the Scripture gives uh, eloquent uh, testimony to this in numerous places. For example, in uh, the Apostle Peter's first epistle, he refers to the positive influence influence of a godly wife uh, even upon her unbelieving husband. Uh, why, she says, uh, the same way you submissive to your husband so that if any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives and they see the purity and reverence of their lives. And in 1 Corinthians 7, the apostle is talking about the same thing when he urges uh, Christian women, uh, converts uh, to the faith, uh, who have um, a husband who um, is not a believer but uh, is not overly cruel and, and uh, is willing to uh, uh, and, and doesn't drive her away uh, for he writes the unbelieving husband 
has been sanctified by the unbelieving, uh, through his wife. Now, what does that mean, sanctified? Well, Paul is talking about the, the holy influence of a woman that she might have upon an unbelieving man. It's not uncommon for the wives of unbelievers uh, to despair uh, over any apparent change in their husband's lives. But uh, there may be more impact than you think, for who knows what sort of uh, sinfulness or unrighteousness you may have kept him from, or what he might have indulged in had your presence and love and example not been there to mediate and soften and influence him in positive ways. Uh, that's uh, often the case. Uh, but more positively, uh, uh, a godly woman um, can have a, a godly woman can have a particularly positive and useful influence on a godly man who will receive her wise counsel and be strengthened and blessed by her good example. How does this work? Um, how can a wife uh, be a blessed and godly influence on her husband? Well, let me simply mention three things. First, uh, ladies, seek to fill your own heart with Christ. You, you must find your portion in the Lord Jesus, resting and trusting in Him, meeting with Him every day, reading the Bible, finding time for prayer. Only then will you have strength and the wisdom and the contentment that are all a prerequisite to being a positive influence on your husband. If your own heart is an orphan heart, if it's continually dissatisfied and discontented and fussy and spiritually hungry, you'll have nothing positive to offer your husband. Secondly, pray for your husband. Ask him what he would like to, uh, for you to pray about. And, and use your own intuition to pray for things you know that might be of concern to him. And tell him how to pray for you. That's his responsibility, but you can help him. Thirdly, uh, and I think this is a, an important point, give some thought about what you fill your husband's ears with. Um, think twice about things that you speak to him about that might better not be said at all, especially things that are not worth repeating. Gossip, for example. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians who said, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things and, and share those things. Uh, wives should always remember that you have a God-given ability to get your husband quickly on your side of an argument or a disagreement over some matter in which she might feel strongly. Uh, don't abuse that. Beware of trying to manipulate your husband, even for a cause you might consider to be worthy and righteous and important. You see, by God's design, your husband is protective and sensitive to defend you and quick to take up offenses on your behalf. And so you need to be very careful and sure that you're not inciting him against something uh, that is sinful or unworthy of his support. It's just, uh, uh, just something that might fire up a conflict. And then finally, husbands, now referring to husbands, uh, listen to your wives. Uh, God has given you uh, a, another perspective. Uh, your wife has given He's given her a perspective that, that um, you not, might not be able to, to, to see. God will often give unique spiritual or, or social family um, um, 
insights into a, a life that you, you might totally miss. Um, men need to hear the counsel of their wives. The man who won't listen to his wife is a fool. Um, so that's my first point. For better or for worse, wives have a weighty influence on their husbands. And your wives are the helpers of your husbands wise counsel. But here's the second point. The first being that wives have a weighty influence on their husbands. The second being that, that mothers have a weighty influence on their children. That mothers have a weighty influence on their children. And once again, we can uh, look at it negatively at the example of Jezebel. Um, Jezebel, um, <clears throat> her influence upon her children was absolutely disastrous. Um, Ahab and Jezebel had two children and uh, that we're aware of. There may have been others, but um, and one was a son, Haziah, who ascends to the throne after Ahab's death. And he was a terrible king who fortunately reigned only two years. Of him, the scripture records, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and mother and in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat who causes to the sin. He served and worshipped Baal and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger just as his father had done. Well, where did this young man learn all about the worship of Baal? Well, almost certainly, he learned it from his mother Jezebel. That was her mission. That was her mission to, uh, to, to bring Baal worship into Israel. And she succeeded, especially uh, with her son, Hosea. Uh, we read in, in 2 Kings 2 and 3 that this man Isaiah had occasion, when he had occasion to, to seek wisdom from the Lord, what does he do? Well, he does exactly what he's taught to do at his mother's knee. That's what he does. He sends for the prophets of Baal instead of seeking uh, the word of the living God. Now, Ahab and Jezebel also had a daughter, and she was a doozy. Um, she was her mother's daughter, sure. Uh, she almost single-handedly destroyed the line of Messiah and the Davidic throne. Her name was Athaliah. Maybe you remember her. Don't name your daughter Athaliah. Um, or Jezebel. Uh, she, uh, she married Jehoram. That's the point. The son of King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. So another godless marriage of convenience. And you see how this wicked a web starts to spread. The mother, Jezebel, brings idolatry to Israel, and her daughter, Athaliah, takes it to Judah. And um, when her husband died, you remember this, perhaps, she, uh, Athaliah seized the throne herself and proceeded to murder all of her grandchildren, except for one who was providentially missed. Athaliah closes down the temple, she vigorously promotes Baal worship for the six years she reigned. And so you can see how the, uh, the influence of this woman Jezebel didn't stop with her husband. It also infected her son and her daughter. Well, that's enough negativity about mothers. Um, what sort of positive influence uh, could we speak of? Uh, what sort of uh, influence uh, are you having on your children or your grandchildren? What do they... What do they hear from you? What do they see in you? Uh, some influences more subtle than others. Uh, 
you know what the Bible says about women and children. The Bible urges older women to train the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, and busy at home. So the Bible has mothers at home training their children. That's where the happy children are and the well-adjusted ones. They're home with mommy. That's the way the Creator intended it. And I know that's not always possible. I know that it can't always be that way for mothers to be at home. <coughs> now that's true. <coughs> but we should recognize that it is the biblical norm. And all other things being equal, it's preferably, preferable, especially for little children who are particularly uh, impressionable. Now, studies have shown what everyone knows, that young children are happier and healthier when they spend the day at home with a parent. Um, now, of course, having mothers at home uh, may require some sacrifice. Um, it's not always easy to do that. Um, I tell young couples that I'm, that I'm um, counseling for marriage, I say, you will never have what your neighbor has. Uh, because you're not going to be able to bo both go out and have your smart wife get some knockout job and, um, and make a bundle of money for you. You probably can't do that. And you're, you're probably, and furthermore, you got to tie it to the church. So it's all gone. <laughs> uh, but, but here's the point if the, if the Lord gives you children, he, He's given you a responsibility and, and a precious trust and a very high, honorable calling of raising them for Him. And others may assist and may need to assist. Grandparents or, or, or fathers uh, who can, uh, can do this. Raise children. But they can do it better than anybody else. Um, mothers can influence their children in a positive and righteous manner in the way no other person ever can or will do. By putting Christ first in your own heart uh, together with your husband's driving every veil from your home uh, by loving and honoring your husband. Children need to see that, boys and girls alike, by getting your children to Sunday school and church every Lord's Day and getting yourself there too so they can see how important it is. And uh, by showing them what it means to repent, showing them uh, what it means to be sorry for sin and what it means to believe and repent and, and trust the Lord for, for things. Uh, you know, it, to, to see mom and dad praying for something that, that they understand they really need in the home. And, 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 and they're just not charging out, you know, with the credit card. They're praying. They're saying, Lord, provide us. We, we need your provision. That's very powerful. When you, when you get into an argument with your husband, and uh, let's say it's his fault, because it very often is. And... Um, and, and and, and, and he has the grace, God gives him the grace to come and, and ask your forgiveness. Or, or maybe you take the first step, you know, and, and, and children see that. And that's powerful, isn't it? It's very powerful. Um, um, by giving them, really, I guess I could say it this way, the one thing uh, that no one else can give them and for which their little hearts cry out, the love and security of a stable, disciplined home. So that's my second point. 
The first was wives have a weighty influence on their husbands. The second is mothers have a weighty influence upon their children. I, I could have given a third, but those pages would have blown away a long time ago. Um, so here's the conclusion of the matter. Brothers and sisters, there are women who are called to be single, just as there are men who are called to be single, and have this very unique, wonderful, special, and sometimes powerful influence on church and community. It's a call, just as motherhood is a call. And there are some women who are skilled in business and professions, and I thank the Lord for them. And of course, the women of history, there have been women who ruled the world. But the hard truth is that in the end, the women who have influenced and impacted this world the most in the most powerful and lasting manner are those women who have been called to strengthen the hands of their husbands and faithfully raise their children. As the old saying goes, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And there's some truth to that. So yes, not easy. Swimming against the tide for sure, isn't it? But um, having a good and godly influence on your husbands, uh, having a wise and holy influence on your children, joining a great cloud of witnesses, of blessed, dedicated witnesses, glorifying God, building his kingdom, and laying a foundation of prosperity and security in any society. Let's bow for prayer. Lord our God, we live in a world that um, thinks it's exalting women, and very often it, it really doesn't. Um, help us to understand your word and be obedient. Help us to honor those who are called to be wives and mothers, and encourage them in their calling. We pray for um, all the moms and wives of this congregation, that you bless them and enable them. We thank you for um, uh, the grace that you give to us uh, to do these things, we pray. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen.